Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus podcast by Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm Ira Jersey. This is a Macro Matters edition post-Federal Reserve meeting. I'm here with Anna Wong, the chief economist for Bloomberg Economics. Anna, thanks for coming on the Fick Focus podcast. Hi, Ira. Good to be here again. So we got what we thought we'd get. We got a 25 basis point interest rate hike from the Federal Reserve, and, and Jay Powell was about as transparent as we've ever heard a uh, a Fed chair in a, in a press conference. You, you know, what's your initial thoughts and, and talk a little bit about maybe the, uh, your expectations for the near-term future in terms of the development of uh, monetary policy? Yeah, I think this Fed meeting is, um, you know, certainly there are several things that went um, as we expected, but there are also some things that surprised me. Um, I'll just say that the seven um, dots uh, uh, that that has um, you know um, that expect you know twenty twenty five bips hike seven of them this year that was um, that was a surprise to me. Uh, we were expecting five or six, um, and um, I still don't think that that would be the the way forward for them and there are a couple of reasons for it first when they put in the dots this they submitted the scp forecast it was actually last week before the oil price plunged to you know 90ish now they were acting as if that inflation or or um oil price would be would would stay at 130 or above that's what the the scp inflation forecast is because typically when when Fed policymaker put in their uh, projections for the SEP, it is very close to the consensus. And what we saw from this SEP is, is it exceeded consensus. And on top of that, um, the the uh, number of um, you know market pricing for hikes at the time when they submit this forecast is six, not seven. So when they put in that seven, it was like as if they were acting, they were going to go beyond what the market, from their perspective, what the market was uh, was pricing in. So I think all in all, it was, um, you know, very, very hawkish. I mean, I mean, from a civilian's perspective, not a Fed watcher's perspective, I think this is what the economy needs. I have been fearing that they they are falling behind the curve for a long time, and even even under their current inflation projection, it is still below what Bloomberg Economics expect inflation to be at the end of this year. So all in all, I think it's good, but I I remain skeptical that that they will hike seven times and. You know, half of the committee wants to do at least 150 bips, and even five of them want more than 150 bips this year. Um, it still puzzles me how prior to the invasion, even one of the more hawkish members are not on board with 150 bips and would only write down four or five 25 bips this, this year, would suddenly go all the way to, you know, multiple 50 bips. I, I think the war and the oil price has to do with it, but... 
you know, and they didn't listen to their textbook textbook models that the Fed staff provide them. Another thing that jumped out at me from this meeting is based on what I think the Fed staff and the data that the FOMC are confronted with and the models that they would not have put put down seven. I mean, those guys would not have told them that inflation is going to go to like, you know, four three percent at the end of this year. I think they are injecting a lot of discretionary um, uh, judgmental thing on, on, on this meeting and that, you know, going forward, if, when, if oil price remain at 90 ish or something, they would only break down six uh, or five. So, 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 so it's interesting. Let's, let's stick with the dots just for a second, right? Because that, that was, I think, from my perspective, at least, both in the statement and a lot of the – some of the information that, that Chair Powell talked to us about uh, was the surprising thing. So, you know, that, that extra 25 basis points in the median dot and, of course, the dispersion of dots for the end of 2022, like you, like you, um, you hinted at, really got really wide, right, where you now have some members who think that they might even hike – you know, near 3%, you know, one member. Now, granted, that person's in a big outlier. But nonetheless, you, you you have this hawkish skew, I would say, in the distribution that was created among the uh, uh, the, the Fed members. But but also the other part of the dot that I thought was interesting was basically the, the Federal Reserve thinks that they're going to stop hiking next year, keep, uh, you know, maybe keep uh, pretty steady rates more or less in 2024. And then uh, and then but the long term dot is below the median of 2023 and 2024. So basically they're they're admitting almost that they're going to hike and slow down the economy and slow down uh you know and uh, as well as slow down inflation and and that means that at some point maybe in 2025 they're going to start cutting interest rates. Now the market is currently pricing for them to cut well before that, right? So so the market is basically saying they're going to hike a lot the next 18 months or so, and then they're going to have to start cutting even by the end of 2023, potentially, uh, which I think is interesting. So the, the market's already saying, hey, you're going to make a policy mistake if you hike this fast. Um, you, you know what? So so let, let, let's pretend, let's play a what if game here. They do hike the seven-ish times this year, right? Maybe they do a 50 in, in May or June, which is what the market's pricing for right now. And then maybe they skip a meeting, say, in November, right before the midterm elections or something. But they go seven 25 basis point hikes by year end. How does that frame your expectation for economic activity in, you know, in 2023? And, and how do you think that that uh, the, can the economy handle, you know, two percent ish or even higher than two percent uh, front end rates with a yield curve that will probably be inverted sometime by the middle of this year? So let me talk about my pre-Ukraine invasion view and post. As you all well know, before I thought that the the, the Fed should uh, would be more hawkish. They're serious about hiking. They need to go higher. I was one of the first to move up to you know five hikes for this year, and I I still think that the terminal rate for this hiking cycle would be high. And in fact, recently we have uh, updated the view to I think the terminal rate would. Be around 3.3 percent uh unlike what the market has priced in the market still still haven't is, is not prepared for the terminal rate for the cycle however after the ukraine war i do think that the growth um headwind facing the economy this year is stronger than before and it will primarily be coming from abroad with china and uh europe 
if Europe goes into a deep recession, if China slows down because they have a national lockdown, I mean, to, uh, you know, slows down to a degree of what we had seen in 2020 when they had a national lockdown, that would shave off, uh, you know, more than a percentage point of, of U.S. growth or even, you know, 1.5 or even two. If there, in both cases, it becomes severe. So. I think I think um, for the Fed to hike seven times this year, in addition to having these uh, foreign headwinds, which slow the economy dr- dramatically, and 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 I think David Wilcox, our Bloomberg economics colleagues, say it very well. He he described monetary policy making as a in in a constant course correcting mode, and so I guess um, you know. I should not have expected the Fed to react immediately to the foreign events abroad. I think that over the course of the year, as things abroad develop, they will recognize that there there is foreign spillover into the economy. Global financial conditions are tightening very hard. Um, Then they will they will have to slow down the hike. I mean, if you look at 2018, 2015, 2016, um, it, it, it has always been the case that it's the, the global economy that slowed the Fed down and they didn't realize it at the moment when the global economy was slowing. They only recognized it as they started doing what they were doing and then they, they had to do a course correction. So I think the risk for a course correction where they they intend to go in at seven, seven hikes or with the with 50 bips, but the after you know a couple of meetings, they will have to slow down. That's, that's what I so- think. So in the 1990s, when I was relatively early in my career, uh, the Federal Reserve increased interest rates. You didn't have long-term interest rates go up uh, significantly, and the the Federal Reserve was, I think, trying to get longer-term interest rates up, knowing that things like you know corporate spending and uh, even some consumer loans, like for for automobile loans and the like, tend to be longer-term instead of where instead of overnight loans, right? It's uh, overnight loans obviously are not a huge consumer. Um, uh, consumer rate. Um, so, uh, you know, is the curve flattening going to worry them? There was a mention very briefly in uh, in the minutes uh, uh, from the January meeting that uh, that curve flattening might be, uh, be be something that that a couple of members, I think it said a few members, were concerned with. You know, it, do will the Fed use that as a signaling tool? Because forward rates, forward curves, for example, the two year, ten year curve one year forward is already inverted and uh, and it will likely invert, I think, uh, on a spot basis well before uh, the end of this year. Um, so so I, I think that that the forwards are probably a little bit too optimistic about the pace of uh, the, the pace of, of curve flattening. Um, you know, w- will that matter to them? And certainly, for, I think for risk asset markets, they're going to be concerned if the two year, 10 year curve goes from, you know, 20 ish basis points where it is today all the way down to zero over the next couple of months. Um, so, so how much will the markets uh, kind of impact the thinking of the Federal Reserve as a signaling tool for the broader economy? I think it, the yield curve inversion by itself would only play a minor role in monetary policy making uh, for a couple of reasons. One, PhD economists in the Fed don't have any models whatsoever of how yield curve inversion cause a slowdown in the economy. So it's not a um, very popular view or even a 
you know, well-known view. Although they do recognize that yield curve inversion has historically been a statistical predictor of recession. And the second point is, you know, in the minutes you, you mentioned somebody, some, some, uh, a couple of FOMC participants cited the yield curve inversion. I think those are the regional Fed presidents, uh, particularly those in, um, you know, who, who are in charge of like community, who, who really prioritize um, community banking or like some and among the Fed governors, maybe Michael uh Michelle Bowman, because he's she's specializes in you know community banking. Those people would be more concerned about the ca- causation um, impact of, of yield curve inversion on you know bank lending. But bank lending has really diminished as a share of credit intermediation in this country over the years. Uh, so I, I don't think uh, on aggregate that channel is very strong. Um, then also that you know in the past. Um, Yield curve, uh, it's it's you know it's easier and easier to invert the yield curve, partly because one we are we we had you know a huge Fed balance sheet, and if you believe that balance sheet has an important and large effect on long term yields, then uh, you you shouldn't be too worried about yield curve inversion because that tells you that. Um, uh, much of it is just due to QE, and with QT coming, if if you're in the camp that believe you know QE has a big effect, then you should also expect the longer end will rise if, if the Fed start running off very aggressively. Okay, so I have something to say about that because the QE effect is significantly different on the Treasury market than QT, and and there, there's a two reasons for that, and primarily. One is when you think about the Fed buying and and what the Fed how the Federal Reserve uh, purchases assets it it tend it does purchase throughout the curve, but it it significantly reduces volatility in the market and and it reduces that volatility because it allows primary dealers to take on market risk and f- from a balance sheet perspective. So so dealers and and banks don't have to hold inventory and they always have a uh, a willing <laughs> a willing uh, price insensitive buyer in the Fed um, when they're when the Fed is active. When the Fed's running off their balance sheet, there's a different dynamic because the Treasury Department then will have to uh, be, be the seller of those assets. The Federal Reserve isn't going out and selling 10-year and 30-year debt, for example, to steepen the yield curve. So um, the the what what we've noticed uh, over time for all the uh, during all the QE periods, with the exception of Operation Twist, when the Fed you know explicitly sold short-term assets to buy long-term assets. Um, you didn't see a significant move in the yield curve, really. Um, you know, you, you saw usually a knee-jerk reaction, but then the curve then normalized. So I'm not convinced that uh, during uh, during runoff of the Fed's balance sheet that you'll necessarily get a significant uh, change in the yield curve. And in fact, if if the Fed does something like um, like some other strategists on the street think, which, which I don't think, but if they run off, for example, the T-bill portfolio very quickly, then you could actually see even more significant flattening of the yield curve initially because you have an extra $300 billion or more potentially of, of front-end short-term assets that are going to just you know, uh, basically be pumped into the market over a couple of months. Um, now, no, I don't think the Fed's going to do that. I think they'll be much more incremental in the way that they perform quantitative tightening um, and uh, and basically stick to some form of caps. So so and and let's stick with that for a second because Jay Powell, like the other somewhat surprising thing that that Jay Powell said was 
he he mentioned that in the minutes of this meeting, we could expect additional detail for how the uh, Fed might conduct its quantitative tightening policy later this year, which which he did hint might be announced in May or June. So he was, um, you know, did say in the next couple of meetings. Um, so, you know, was that surprising to you, Anna, that, that you know, basically Powell told you, <laughs> hey, read the minutes because it's going to have more details. I don't want to talk about it now. That is not the part that surprised me. I mean, I, I, I we wrote in our preview that we were expecting them to release uh, the addendum that would contain some guidance on the cap size. If, and if they didn't do that, they would do it in May or um, in May. That's what we wrote. Um, so we were not surprised by that. But I, I, I think I was just thinking about this, this this morning. Then why didn't they release an addendum if there are if if, if Powell is going to pre-announce this uh, pre-announcement in in the minutes? Just release an addendum. But I think sometimes policymakers are just like maybe they ran out of time to craft an addendum. The picking the right words and all that, you know, takes takes extra time. Maybe they just ran out of time, so they didn't put out an addendum. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm not convinced of that. I think maybe it's just going to be, uh, you know, a bit longer, and and maybe they they want to say that there's two different options that maybe they'll consider um, when when they finally do it. Um, certainly, they they already came out with their principles. Obviously, and at the January meeting, they released their their principles of asset runoff. Um, when they did that. So we're at time here. Anna, I want to thank you very much for coming back on the FIC Focus podcast. I'm sure we'll have you on again in the near future, given uh, all the activity that is likely to come out of both the Federal Reserve and obviously the way the uh, U.S. and global economy develops. Thank you, Ira. And with that, we're going to turn to our Fun Fed Facts segment with Angelo Monolatos. Angelo, there's a lot of different Fun Fed Facts we could do today. What do you have for us? Yeah, so I just want to jump a little bit deeper into the um, into the dot plot and some details that we saw there. Um, so I think 2022 is a good starting point. Uh, the lowest dot was at uh, one and three eighths, which is uh, five uh, total heights uh, from the uh, hikes from the effective lower bound. And we also had uh, seven uh, FOMC participants have dots at two and one eighth or above. So that's uh, that's uh, eight total hikes uh, in this calendar year. Um, looking a little further out uh, into 2022 and 2023, you have a very, like you said, it's, it's actually a very, very, uh, sorry, into 2023 and 2024, you have a very uh, similar dot plot. You have uh, eight participants or exactly half at uh, two and seven eighths, or that's 11 total hikes from the effective lower bound. So uh, that gets policy into that restrictive territory. And uh, something that I thought was really uh, apparent in the Fed minutes in the and Jerome Powell's uh, post-statement uh, press conference uh, is how how many times he went back to that fact that how many participants have uh, restrictive policy, have dots uh, over the next few years that are above what they expect uh, the neutral rate to be. Uh, typically, we get something where uh, FOMC participants talk down the dot plot. And uh, in this way, he kind of went back to it as a, as a reference of how hawkish uh, the Fed is in how how much the Fed wants to get inflation back uh, under control and close to their mandate. So, uh, yeah, that th that's something that I mentioned when we were just discussing it with Anna about how, you know, you know, they do plan on getting, quote unquote, restrictive. But w what is interesting, though, is that even though the Fed seemed very hawkish and even though you look at the, the dots and they think that they're they're going to be able to hike to by the middle of 23 and into 2024 to around two and a half ish percent. Anna thinks that they're going to go up more toward three. I think that three percent number, when you just look at what the market's pricing for inflation, 
um, that that three-ish percent number seems to be more in line with what would be a neutral Fed funds rate, right? A, a zero real funds rate would be closer to three percent based on market pricing right now versus two and a half percent. So uh, the, the Fed seems to think that we're going to have maybe um, you know much lower in inflation potentially, although the SEP doesn't show that either. So. Um, uh, I think there's an interesting dynamic going on between kind of their economic expectations and and their uh, expectations for for interest rates and 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 although I agree with Anna that I think they're going to ultimately probably go a little bit slower than um, than the dots currently predict. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to go more because if we do get a significant economic slowdown, like I think we'll, we'll probably get in second half of 23, um, you know, that's probably going to spook some some members of the Fed. So is there anything else for our Fun Fed Facts segment, Angelo? Yeah, so just going a little uh, a little further into those uh, those details there. Um, so it got a little bit of attention. The longer term dot actually went down. So that, that neutral rate dot went down a little bit. Um, in December, which is the last time we had a summary of, summary of economic uh, projections, uh, there were nine participants at uh, 250. So I know this is fun Fed facts, but we have to do a little fun Fed extrapolation here. Um, so if there was nine at 250, now there's five. Uh, we can assume that Richard Clarida and uh, uh, Randall Quarles, who are no longer on uh, on the board of governors, were at 250, and then two uh, two participants actually went to two and a quarter. I uh, I'm not going to uh, guess who those those were, but um, I think that that was pretty interesting, especially. Uh, but something I will add is that the central tendency, so something the Fed publishes, the central tendency, they they trim the tails on both ends actually was unchanged uh, between two and two, two point three and two point five percent. So although it did drift, uh, drift a little downward, um, the central tendency was unchanged this meeting. Great. Well, that was Angela Monolatos with our Fun Fed Facts segment. On behalf of Anna Wong, the BE uh, Chief Economist, I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Thanks very much for listening to this Macro Matters edition of the FIC Focus podcast. If you have any ideas for either guests or topics that you'd like us to cover on the FIC Focus podcast, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. With that, be well. <laughs> <laughs>